This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Uh, are you relaxed though, Charlie? Are you okay? No, no, no. I mean, look, we, we for anyone who listened to last week's episode, uh, you probably picked up that uh, we we're having some internet trouble. Uh, Will in his new house was, was having no internet. And then uh, this morning, I thought I'd just better test my internet before we jump on Skype and it's not working. And so I moved across to my office because they, uh, they their internet is working and then... Um, uh, for some reason, I, I couldn't I couldn't see a signal, and it's just a lot of technical issues that you think a show that had been going for ten years would have ironed out by well, now. Well, not if you've ever listened to this show, you wouldn't have thought that. You would have had no sense that we would ever iron out any of the issues. Basically, what's happened in the ten years we've been doing this show is we've learned nothing. Technology around us has mm. improved enough that it's given us a basic level of competence, and the fact that we're able to employ people like Mike Hell previously and Podcast Mike to actually do the majority of heavy lifting in a technical sense for us has meant that it's felt like to us that we have progressed. In the same way as it feels like you know more movie trivia because you can Google who was in that movie. You don't actually know anymore. Mm. In fact, you probably know less than you used to know because technology has taken over your very day-to-day. But if you think about like, you know, we, we sort of grew up in the 90s when there was the indie scene, you know, it was all about, hey man, like if you want to start a band, just get together. If you want to make a film, just go out and shoot it. And, you know, and then some of those people sort of progressed and actually became highly skilled at what they do because they, you know, they had that indie spirit of let's just, let's just do a show like us. But then they like evolved into like really skilled people. What's happened with us? How come we... We are the Brian Jonestown massacre of podcasts. We just, we could just never get out of this gear. But there was always, there's this, but at least with Brian Jonestown, there's a suggestion that Anton is something of a genius, like he's something of a kind of prodigy. Whereas I think you and I just very, we've been very workmanlike from the word go. <laughs> Still very workmanlike. We surround ourselves with highly talented people, but maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's, that's the secret to us is we're just... We're not actually that good, but we're just good at we're, we're good at spotting talent and bringing people in like Fosdyke, like, you know, Mike Howell, Podcast Mike, Sammy Cav, all those people who can help us. Oh, yeah. Our team's amazing. Yeah. We are the real deficit. We are the real handbrake on this effort working. We are the caravan that's needed to be dragged up a hill. I mean, is there an equivalent? Like, who is the least talented person who started a band? Like, you know... It, it, like, is Axl Rose the least talented of Guns N' Roses? I mean, arguably, <laughs> when you think about it. Like, like Slash is an amazing guitarist. I don't know that, like, Axl's a particularly good vocalist, is he? He's not really, like, a great keyboard player or anything like that. I mean, the Guns N' Roses are band are pretty tight. It's his band, but he's arguably the worst person in it. <laughs> I mean, are we arguably the worst part of this show? <laughs> Oh, I not. I think not arguably, irrefutably, the worst part of this show. <laughs> if you look at the basic level of competence that everybody else who's ever worked on this show has had, I mean, Mike Hal, you know, like living in a completely different country to us meant that we could do this podcast for like five years because he would piece together whatever rubbish we were able to send him from wherever we were in the world. Uh, you've got Podcast Mike, who's taken over now, who's doing an absolutely brilliant job getting this done. Uh, you've got James Fosdyke, who's turned into an internationally renowned, you know, artist in not only his world, but now in the world of comedy. You know, the amount of international artists who've used James's art for their books, for their albums, all these sort of things. Um, you know, Sam Cav, you know, who helps us out with our business part of this. He, I mean, he's a super successful guy running his own podcast network. We are clearly... <laughs> 
We are clearly, clearly the problem with this organization. So maybe that's what needs to happen. The other guys need to get together and just talk about replacing us, like just just subtly replacing us, maybe like one at a time. They just slip in like two other guys. Do you think people would notice? Imagine if we had a meeting and they're like, guys, uh, we've come up with a concept where we can make this podcast successful. We've just got to replace you two. We're keeping everything else about it apart from you two. All right, they come to us and they say, look, we've been talking. We've actually secretly, uh, a lab has been developing some face-off technology. So what we're proposing is we've gone out and we've talent scouted. We've actually been running auditions for the last 18 months. And we think we have a sound alike for Will and we think we have a sound alike for you, Charlie. What we're asking <laughs> is we want to take your faces. <laughs> that's the one thing <laughs> we couldn't duplicate. But we figure, considering it's an audio medium, that's not a huge thing. But would you be willing to get, what would it take for you to give up your face? <laughs> You've got to Hang take on, the yeah, face of a, this guy. It's not a big thing for a podcast, but it's a big thing for us. I feel like we're <laughs> sacrificing more than they're gaining in return. This is an audio medium. It doesn't really matter what the faces look like as long as the voices are right. And yet we have to sacrifice not only our role in the podcast, but also our faces. What's in it for us? You're right. I don't know why I brought the faces into it because like, most people listen to this show, a lot of people, at least for me, had no idea what I looked like until they started. we started doing more video content. So we possibly could get away with just two sound-alikes. Yeah. No, it's not face-off, it's voice-off. Yeah. So basically, they've come up with an operation where they can remove your vocal cords and they can put them in another person so that person will then sound exactly like you. Well, I, they don't need that. I mean, that AI, that Joe Rogan, you know, AI, the Joe Rogan voice thing, that, we'll get that soon enough. I don't. Yeah, I, think I say. No I know you notice. say they don't need it, Charlie, but we've been working on this technology for fifteen <laughs> years, and I'm sorry that you think you suddenly don't need it. We've invested a lot of capital. This was a startup. We've finally mastered the voice-off technology, and I want to hear from you. Do you think you would, if you had to, just you did the the voice-off, and you had to take someone else's vocal cords? How long would that take you to get used to? Like, if suddenly you had a completely different voice. What would you request if you could, if they gave you a selection of, you know, different voices you could have, like maybe they give you, you know, like when people go and get like, uh, you know, plastic surgery, they can show celebrities, oh, do you want Angelina Jolie's lips or do you want this one's boobs or whatever? So they play a whole host of kind of different voices. It's like, oh, you could have uh, like a Sean Connery kind of, you know, lispy brogue or you can have more of a kind of Barry White deep bassy voice or you can have like a... I don't know. I'm trying to think of one other type of voice. Who's <laughs> got a distinct uh, voice? Hugo Weaving. Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> yes. No, I would make uh, Hugo Weaving get Gilbert Gottfried's voice and then remake the Matrix movies. And then I would have uh, Hugo Weaving's voice. I'm getting Hugo Weaving's voice in this. So we're doing a three-way swap. Gilbert Gottfried decides he wants my voice. Hugo Weaving, we talk into getting Gilbert Gottfried's voice. And I get Hugo Weaving's voice. Just so when I introduce myself as Mr. Anderson, it would sound very cool. <laughs> Hugo Weaving's normal speaking voice, I'm actually trying to think what that sounds like. Because he so often plays not as Australians. I'm not really sure what his speaking voice sounds like. There's certain actors like that. Like, do you, If you had to think what Gary Oldman sounds like, could you just immediately bring it up in your brain? Oh, yeah, that's Gary, Gary Oldman's voice. Absolutely not. Me no idea. Like, no idea what Gary Oldman sounds like. I mean, Christian Bale, I think maybe more in the last couple of years, you started to get a, a handle on what he sounds like. But there was a long time. It's like, what does Christian Bale sound like? What's his actual voice? Is he Welsh? It turns out he sounds angry and entitled. <laughs> That's what he sounds like in his real voice. <laughs> Did you see, um, uh, I, you saw Ford versus Ferrari, right? Yeah, I liked it. I really liked yeah. it. I, I, I mean, I know that it's probably not a, a great movie, but I, I found it very watchable, very enjoyable. Yeah, there was in, they did an honest trailers for it, and they were like uh, Christian Bale playing Christian Bale. <laughs> it's just that shot of him smashing that, the, the boot of the car in with a hammer. <laughs> yeah, it is one of those ones where you're just like, this, this, this one feels like it comes right from the heart, Christian. Do you think he has to rehab his image, or people have forgiven him? Is it just us no, who keeps bringing I, it up? I mean, it's just us who have like who actually literally have t-shirts available now on Redbubble, uh, Redbubble.com forward slash Mister Foz. You can get your very own "Oh Good for You" Christian Bale t-shirt. 
Yeah, or you can drink out of your Oh Good For You mug, as I do um, often. In, in fact, the two that I drink out of the most of our merch is the Everyone Relax mug that I'm drinking out of today uh, and the Christian Bale Oh Good For You mug, which I have had to explain to a few people over the journey. So you don't think he has to rehab his image? You think enough people have forgotten and forgiven, forgiven and forgotten? He's like He is like that character from Ford versus Ferrari in that if you are good enough at your job, yes, sometimes it will hold you back, but in the end... I mean, I think that's why that story, you really did feel like it was a Christian Bale story because it was a, a story about this incredibly difficult guy. But the reason that he was incredibly difficult was that he had these incredibly high standards and that was the mm. thing that was going to elevate him to greatness. Speaking of that, have you seen any of The Last Dance? Yeah, so I've seen... Well, there's two episodes out already, yeah. right? That's, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's so The Last Dance, well. obviously, the documentary series they've made about the AFL Grand Final. <laughs> and... <laughs> The big dance. Thank you. The big dance. Sorry, that's yes. I know you're right. That's the big dance. Um, uh, yeah. So Amy and I watched the first two episodes because okay. So we didn't have internet for three weeks. We've been in social isolation. We've moved into a new house. We had a little bit of internet that floated in and out, but we haven't had actual proper internet for the last three weeks. And uh, there was a moment uh, in the last forty-eight hours where Amy said, "You know what's worse than COVID nineteen? Free-to-air television." And she was right, because <laughs> we had watched so much fucking free-to-air television. And as someone who works in free-to-air television, I can say this, it is fucking cooked. It is so bad, yeah, free-to-air television. So and so we got the Netflix and, back. And, the, and there's only like four people who host all the shows. <laughs> like every network oh. has like two or three people who host everything. And I thought I liked cooking shows until the only thing you can watch on 15 different channels is various different cooking shows. It's oh, in, incredibly, incredibly bad uh, free-to-air television. But um, I, uh, So we got Netflix back and we were flicking through trying to find something and I just flicked on it at the start because Amy's not a, a sports fan and she's not a basketball fan. So I thought, you mm. know, I'll get away with watching about five minutes of this. And even she loved it. Like she yeah. was, you know, transfixed by it. Yeah, I watched the first step. Gemma's the same as Amy, not really a sports fan, doesn't really knows who Michael Jordan is because everyone knows who Michael Jordan is. But I watched that first app. Actually, it was funny. I watched it late at night and I had my headphones on. And you know, sometimes when you're listening to something on headphones, like it's more immersive. And I was getting like so excited, especially when, I mean, look, here's the thing. You could show like it could be each episode could be an hour of Jordan highlights and that would be good enough. But when I was watching the Jordan highlights with the music playing and stuff in the stereo, I got like really excited. It was about midnight, and I almost wanted to wake Jim up to show her just that package because it was so great. But yeah, she did well, the, the same thing. Well, the thing she, about how good a player he is, like, I mean, Amy was enjoying the whole storyline because it's really well put mm. together. But the thing about him as a player is you forget just how incredibly beautiful it is to watch. It, regardless yes. of whether it's a sport or not, when you see him do those dunks and when you see him fly from the you know the three point line and he's just in the air by himself, it looks majestic. It looks like ballet, like a superhero, like acrobatics, or a superhero or Cirque du Soleil. And I kept having to say to Amy when she goes, "That was amazing." I go, "Yeah," and that was in a game. He was playing. Yeah. He was playing in a sport where you get no extra points for doing what he just did. Like he could have yeah. just dribbled it up to the basket and just laid it up and you get the exact same amount of points for that. But he did something with it that was just so spectacular within it. Yeah. I mean, it's also too, like, I don't know if maybe this is just old man talk and looking back with rose colored glasses, but because that was what, you know, my interest with in basketball started with Michael Jordan, like probably most people around about our age, like that's how I got into it. And I remember you know, me and my friends just like watching Michael's Playground, like that VHS tape that was just like, again, highlight, just highlight reel. And it was that, it sort of felt like, you know, in the same way that music and TV and movie stars these days feels all diluted because there's so many in the access. But back then there was like, you know, you had Madonna, Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen, you had these like few icons. And then there was Michael Jordan. Now, I don't follow basketball as closely now as I did back then, but Tell me, you you followed it a bit more. Has anyone come close to having that kind of impact? Like, was it just because he was the first or is he still by far and away the exception? Well, you have this argument over the years, over the last sort of, you know, 10, 20 years. There's always that sort of, is Kobe as good as Michael Jordan was or is LeBron? LeBron. That's a big one that, you know, is LeBron as good as 
what um, Michael Jordan was. And when you see Michael Jordan play and the the manner in which he plays, I think that you could compare, you know, LeBron and Michael Jordan as players. They both have these incredible careers and they're just both legends of basketball. But Michael was doing something very different to what LeBron does. Like he mm. was, I don't know, it's, it's, it's so hard to describe. And just even the fact that he knew from a real... I'm going to have to deal with the dogs, though. <laughs> okay, yeah, go for it. When you say, I'm going to have to deal with the dogs, it, <laughs> it does sound like you're about to put them down. <laughs> uh, the dogs uh, are enjoying uh, their new home. There's, you know, a lot more back... Other than that tiny little bit of grass they had in Melbourne in the backyard, it's fair to say... <laughs> having an entire yard to explore and play with is to their liking, as it is with Churchy. Uh, um, anyway, sorry, yeah, what was so I saying? Jordan. Um, you are talking about Jordan. It feels like what he was doing was something completely different. Rewatching this, it feels like what he was doing was something completely different. You, you look yeah. back on it, and I think, look, defense wasn't as good back then. You know, the way that they were playing, much like in the AFL, you know, the zones and all these sort of things. The way that he played an average game of basketball looked like he was playing in the All-Star game. It always mm. looked like he was showing off, but it wasn't just about... There are players who can do dunks as well as Michael Jordan could do dunks. There are players who can shoot three-pointers better than Michael Jordan could shoot a three-pointer, but there was just nobody quite like Michael Jordan. Like, I think he's the greatest basketball that has ever been, and I think re-watching this, just when you see him as a kid and they're talking about the idea, because mm. he's going to this busted-up franchise, you know, they, they, who've got no real, you know, hope or ambitions to actually be, you know, one of the greatest basketball teams in the history of basketball, as they turned out to be. And and mm. and they ask him that question about whether he can go there and help rebuild it. And he catches himself talking about how he'll change it all and just catches it in a moment and talks about the team and how the team will do yeah. it all together. But even then, as this kid coming out of college to go into the NBA, you were like, I feel like he knows what's going to happen. Nobody else knows what's going to happen, but I feel like he's got a sense of what's going to happen. Yeah, it is. Like, that's what I found fascinating as well is just that kind of study of, I mean, what would you call it? I, I know we, we love talking about... Um, uh, 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 like game changers, you know. Uh, what, what's that? We did a whole episode on uh, visionaries. Someone who comes along and just flips the whole thing on its head. And I, I loved when I think it was his college coach or maybe his high school coach talked about the fact that, look, you know, there's lots of players who have raw natural ability. There's lots of players who are super competitive. There's lots of players who have natural leadership. But it's very rare to have someone who has all those things operating at the most like optimum level. And the fact is he just hates losing. Like he just cannot get it through his head that anyone would accept anything less than the best. And it's interesting because you sort of see, you know, when he, when they have that footage of him in 97, like before the, their final season together, and it's like, wow. So, they've, you know, they've won five um, championships. He's the highest paid, most famous star in the world. But you can still see that he has that kind of drive. And I'm like, that must be maddening in a way. Like it's obviously the thing that got him to that point, but then, you know, I wonder what happens and I haven't gone down the Wikipedia rabbit hole, but once you retire, you know, and your body can't physically do those things that you were doing, like where, where do you apply that energy? Gambling, high stakes gambling. And you lose a lot of money, high stakes gambling. Spoiler alert, but if you do a little bit of a Wikipedia dive, what you'll find is Michael Jordan lost a lot of money in high-stakes gambling. But his, his eyes also look really fucked up. Like, they're really yellow and bloodshot. Does he drink a lot as well now? Is that something that's widely reported? Well, he did mention that he never drank because there was that great thing where he first comes into the league and he's banging on the doors <laughs> in the corridors trying to find his teammates yeah, and they open up the door. And it's just like the greatest party of all time that he's just found himself in. And he talks about, you know, that they're all doing lines. I mm. noticed how he never said like cocaine or drugs or whatever, but he always referred to as lines. Mm. Uh, they were all doing lines. They were all smoking weed. Uh, they were all partying with girls and stuff. And I was like, man, the NBA sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that wasn't the point of his story, no. it turns out. No, I noticed <laughs> The point that. of his story was he turned his back and rejected that. I noticed that too, though, because he's very specific in his language. He said, they're doing all this stuff, and I didn't do any of that stuff. I didn't drink 
back then. And I was looking because he's in yeah. that armchair with that cigar and he's got a giant glass of whiskey there. And every time, because Jen noticed it as well, she's like, wow, his eyes are really yellow. Like, has he got some kind of like yeah. liver damage or something? Yeah, I noticed that his eyes were yellow as well. And... <laughs> Sneezed into your uh, elbow. Very good. Yeah, I've learned my lesson. <laughs> Never wash my hands this much in my life. I <laughs> know. It's like Lady Macbeth. <laughs> I just can't get it off. Maybe that maybe Lady Macbeth was the only person who was trying to survive a pandemic. That was that was what was going well, on there. What did they say? Shakespeare wrote one of his plays during a during the plague or some shit? Maybe that's what he was referring to. Yeah. <laughs> that's maybe when he picked up that Macbeth bit. Yeah. Like he just, he wrote it down in his diary and it just been sitting there until he had to write a play. He's like, oh, this would be great. The whole washing the hands thing from the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he's an incredibly high functioning person mm. and it would not, it would not like surprise me that every single thing that he gets into, he completely, you know, indulges in. So if he's drinking, he's probably drinking the most expensive, you know, whiskey or whatever, and he's probably drinking a lot well, of it. But imagine, it's like, imagine being Superman for 15 years of your life. Like, you can do anything, you achieve anything, you are adored, and then that time passes. Like, that's got to, you know, I remember reading um, uh, Slash's autobiography, and he's talking about, you know, part of the reason he got into heroin was that, after touring around the world and playing to huge stadiums, you know, like the tour bus would take him back to his house and he'd get dropped off. And he's like, how am I going to adjust back to normal life? He's gone, I don't play golf. Like, you know, like I was sort of going from this huge high and, you know, drugs is the only thing to me that even approximated that. And so I imagine for an athlete, it's kind of the same thing, maybe even more so because you know, you're so used to being the fittest person in the world and having this amazing body. And then, you know, like time just catches up with you. And he would be surrounded by imagery of him when he was at his absolute best. Literally, you know, Nike has a, a, an image of him flying through the air as their logo. <laughs> I mean, that's got to, uh, you'd have to be made of some pretty strong stuff not to have that play, play on your mind, right? Well, what other world you must have lived in? It, it occurred to me when they were going into the stadium and there was that giant, that same Nike sort of um, image, you know, there's that giant uh, statue of him mm. out the front of the stadium while he was playing. Yeah. This is not like a retired person, like, you know, 10 years after the career, they put out the statue out the front. No, he's walking into work every day past a giant statue of himself. Like, I mean, what a world that you must be living in. He's doing these supernatural feats, unlike any person who's ever, he's flying through the air. Mm. You're like, you can't tell him when he's 60 years old that he can't have a whiskey at 10 a.m. <laughs> of course he can have a whiskey at 10 a.m. Is that how it works, though? He's the fly, motherfucker. <laughs> is, that, is that how life works, though? Like, so if you pack more than the average person into the first 30 years, you can then just write it all off in the last 30? Yeah, he's having his lifetime's worth of drinking. Yeah, right. And he didn't do it for the first, you know what I mean? Like he yeah, so that, kept that, away from it at the time where it was best to keep away from it. Yeah. And now at the time where he can't fly through the air, so it doesn't matter if he has a couple of drinks or not, he can have a couple of drinks. Yeah, so he's basically that hotel In room he walked... for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> that hotel room he walked into as a 21-year-old. Now that's his life. His house is that hotel room now forever. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, I got some ideas. I put them in my notebook. I said, I can use that later when I'm not playing basketball anymore. I mean, I, there's got to be a part of you. You said that Superman thing. Mm. It, there may be a comic book that's explored this previously, but that'd be a cool comic book, I reckon, is like Superman, if he lost his powers and just went back to being a normal person, how you deal with the fact that you were like Superman for 15 years, mm. but then you have to live the rest of your life as just Clark Kent. He would getting older, but he would not being able to be Superman. Anymore. He would love that though. I mean, that's his whole, that's the whole thing. Like, you know, they they sort of fumbled the ball a bit in the in the Zack Snyder versions of the character because that's what they were going at. Is like he just wants to be a normal guy. He doesn't want the burden of being Superman. But you know, even in the the the, um, the Richard Lester ones with uh, Christopher Reeve, the second film, he voluntarily gives up his powers so he can have a normal life and be with Lois. I think that's, but that's because he's a Christ-like figure who does not see himself as being. I don't know. I think that when you're a competitive athlete, you know, you see yours, you you have to want to see yourself as being better than other people. You have to see yourself as being exceptional. I think that, you know, I mean, I don't know what the 
the fictional equivalent would be, but I don't think Superman is the right one because I think Superman would love it if his powers are taken away from him. Yeah, but here's what I'm saying. Superman says he loves it on day one. <laughs> Superman's willing to do the noble sacrifice on day one. Right. But, you know, like 30 days in, doesn't he start to just have a little, he's like, oh, this is actually a lot more inconvenient. To He's sitting on a bus having to get to somewhere eight hours away and he's like, fuck. Uh, well, look, I mean, I, geez, I love Lois, but I don't love sitting on this bus for eight hours. <laughs> My back's really hurting. This is... Real inconvenient. Superman too. They actually play out this entire scenario because remember, like he loses his powers. He and Lois make love. It's all like great. But this is going to be our lives now. I'm a human. And then they go to a diner, and some trucker picks a fight with him, and beats the shit out of him. And it's like Superman's like, "Oh, it's okay, Lois. I'll handle this." And gets the shit kicked out of him. And then the first thing he does is run back to the Fortress of Solitude and try and get his powers back. It doesn't even last twenty four hours. Right. But I'm saying it wouldn't involve a fight. Right. All it would involve sore is some back. public transport. <laughs> Just like the saw back on some public transport and he'd want his powers back. Yeah, one economy flight around the world and he'd be like, okay, fuck that. <laughs> I'm getting my powers back. If we, if we fly the plane back the other way, does it reverse time? <laughs> oh, this is shit. <laughs> this is shit. Um, I found an article that might be of interest no. to us. Uh, here is the headline. $500,000 bet on rock, paper, scissors ruled invalid by Quebec court. Oh. So have you heard this no. story? Are you across this story? No. A $500,000 debt incurred from three games of rock, paper, scissors yeah. is invalid. The Quebec Court of Appeal has ruled. Edmund Mark Hooper, the unfortunate loser of the classic hand game, took out a mortgage on his house <laughs> to pay off the debt. How was the how was the wages a fact that was acknowledged? How was the wages set up? Was it contractual? Like was there something written down? Okay, a fact that was acknowledged in a notarized contract. Okay, but the Superior Court cancelled that mortgage in 2017 decision, which was appealed by. Uh, Michael, uh, Michelle Premier, who beat Hooper in the game of rock, paper, scissors um, and won the $517,000 wage. Is Michelle Premier the most Quebecian name you've ever heard? <laughs> is he also like play on the wing for the Edmonton Oilers or something? <laughs> uh, here we go. You have to do it. If, if, they, if they quote him, you have to speak in a French accent, a Quebecy French accent. <laughs> okay. Quebec law uh, stipulates that for a wagering contract to be valid, it must be related to activities requiring only skill or body exertion on the parts of the parties rather than to chance. Furthermore, the amount wagered must not be excessive. Is, uh, is that right? So in, in 2017, is that, sorry, is that, is that gambling rules no. in general? Like it can't be on. Isn't that what poker machines and stuff are? They're all on chance, aren't they? That's not skill. Uh, yes. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. Okay. Um, in 2017, uh, the court justice found that rock, paper, scissors is not simply a game of luck. Oh. Uh, the game could, in certain precise circumstances, call upon the skill of the parties, particularly in the speed of execution, the sense of observation, or the putting in place of a strategic sequence. Right. Uh, but she invalidated the contract nonetheless, judging the amount wagered to be excessive. Nanny state. Bloody nanny state. What are they saying? I mean, how can they say it's excessive or not? Who knows? Maybe this guy's like a billionaire. Might be pocket change to him. Well, I assume they took that into account. It was a court case. <laughs> and he did mortgage his house. <laughs> um, okay. Right. Uh, this is the bit that got overturned. Okay. Though, because while in 2017 they said that it was a game of skill in some circumstances, the new court has found uh, that it isn't. That the game also involves a large part of chance so that it doesn't take only skill or body exertion on the part of the parties. So basically they're saying too much chance for it to be a valid competition. I didn't I realise there's rules around that. I thought you could bet on anything. Like, can't you bet on... Can't you bet on the wrestling where the result is fixed anyway? <laughs> well, we're going to take a little break from the show to talk about uh, this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. Okay, well, that's great because I had an old VPN. And it just was, I, I think I had the non-Express VPN. Uh, I, I, I actually, 
No, sorry, I had VPL. I had visible panty line. I've completely, I've completely got the wrong idea about what this product is. Well, this is if you've got eight items or less, you can use ExpressVPN. <laughs> uh, look, we all know that ExpressVPN protects your privacy and security online, but here's something you might not know, Will. You can actually use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and TV shows that are only available in other countries. Now, so many of us are stuck at home right now. It's only a matter of time before you run out of stuff to watch on Netflix. So guess what? You can use ExpressVPN to go to other countries. So this week, Will, I've been getting into a bit of Blackadder by going to Netflix UK by using my ExpressVPN. Well, that's good because I thought the one thing that I was missing during this time was Blackadder. Yeah. I was like, why can I not watch some more Blackadder? I mean, there's only like 35 episodes of Blackadder and normally they're on the ABC every second day. But during this time... They seem to have put Blackadder away, Charlie, and I have to go overseas for my Blackadder needs. Here's what I'll tell you about Blackadder. First few seasons, first two seasons, no good. <laughs> Absolutely no good. <laughs> He's doing a weird kind of voice. Blackadder's kind of this bumbling idiot. It's kind of like if Adam Sandler, if they did a big screen adaptation of Blackadder, Adam Sandler would go for the first two seasons. It's like the water boy of Blackadder. Yeah, except he'd do blackface at it. It'd be very controversial. The ExpressVPN is very simple to use. You just fire it up uh, on the app and you change your location to the UK and voila, you've got access to Netflix UK. It hides your IP address. Voila of voila. I said, what I say? Voila? Isn't it voila? <laughs> As in uh, Anthony Tippermore. Tipper is it voila or is it voila? Voila. I think, isn't it silent in, in when you say voila? Voila? Voila. I don't know now. You got me <laughs> thinking about that. Voila. Well, you know what, Will? If I use my ExpressVPN, I could probably get some French TV from Netflix France, and then I'd know exactly how to pronounce voila. I think it might be voila. I mean, I don't think that you just completely ignore the V at the start of it. I think you don't go hard into it. It's not like voila, but it's voila, voila. voila vo it's more like an F. It's voila. <laughs> ExpressVPN hides your IP address, lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. So if you feel like being a bit of a... Is it VPN, Charlie, or is it WPN? <laughs> if you feel like being a bit Jason Bourne-esque while watching Jason Bourne, you can choose from almost 100 different countries. So just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. Will, do you love anime? Oh, I love anime, mostly because I watch entertainment in alphabetical order. So it's all I've got to so far. <laughs> well, you can use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and be spirited away. That's a uh, that's an anime title. That's a, that's, a, that's a movie. That's an anime movie. <laughs> but it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service uh, like Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. Go on, name one, Will. Name a streaming service. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Well, I, I'd like to name a streaming service that will give me accurate internet because I you completely dropped out during this ad and I did not hear what you said to me. So will ExpressVPN help me with fucking that? Anyway, so uh, name a service. Oh, okay. Um, what about I want to watch the English Premier League uh, out of the, the UK when that's back? Yep, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say yes, because there's nothing that ExpressVPN can't do. There's literally hundreds of VPNs out there. But the reason I use ExpressVPN to watch shows is that it's ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag, unlike on this show. <laughs> and you can stream HD, no problem. Uh, well, that's great news, because I, I, at the moment, have a lot of problems streaming SD. <laughs> Just D, I can't fucking stream at the moment. So some HD would be really sweet in my life. And you're all about the D. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all your devices, with phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. I watched Blackadder on my iPad, for instance. So you can watch what you want on your personal device or on the big screen, wherever you are. If you, will, if you visit our special link right now at expressvpn.com slash TOEFOP, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's three months for free. Does that sound good, Will? Well, anything for free is good, but three months for free, that's like half a quarantine. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself with ExpressVPN at expressvpn.com slash TOEFOP. I mean, I, yeah, you can bet on The Bachelor and things yeah. like that where at least people would already know who has won it. Yeah, I'm surprised about that. Does it, does it say in the contest, did he lose two zip or was it, was it they went to game three because it was one each? Uh, no, um, it does not say, Ugh. unfortunately. I, I wish I'd know. There is no breakdown of uh, how many games were actually played or 
what beat yeah. what. That, that <laughs> yeah, is the information what, I would yeah, like. I would like to know. <laughs> and he won game two with a paper over a rock move. I'll, I'll, before I consider whether this was skill or chance, I really need to know how these games went. I would there. love it if his lawyer, just say that the winning move was paper over rock, if his lawyer mm. argued that technically how does paper beat a rock? <laughs> like the actual whole oh. premise of the game is flawed. <laughs> Therefore, we will well, not Well, no, but in a courtroom, the opposition could argue that paper is the most important things because, of course, paper is what laws are written on and it actually will be paper, legal books and legal precedent that are written down on paper that will decide this case, Your Honour. I'm no fancy big city Quebecy lawyer, but... Sacre bleu! <laughs> I can just see some judge just sitting there shaking their head going, how did I get assigned this fucking case? You remember you lost that game of rock, paper, scissors with the other judges? Uh, someone contacted us, Will, uh, about yep. a certain poet um, who's uh, decided to chime in on this whole pandemic. Uh, lovely lady you might know called... Or uh, is it a pandemic or is it a... Pandemic. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> That's right. Pam is my nemesis, the woman who uh, ruined my chances of ever being hired on Round the Twist, which... I've got to say, The Weekly Planet did an uh, episode uh, a couple of weeks ago about uh, roles that people missed out on, and they did not mention me missing out on uh, potentially being Bronson in Round the Twist, which I was a little disappointed by. Um, but Pam Ayres has chimed in. A few people have tweeted this to us. So, Will, let's go through line by line and uh, soak up the genius of Pam Ayres. So, she starts off, At last, we have a cure for all. Ailments, large... And ailments small. Good health is not. So hang on, let's not okay. rush through. Let's not burn the steps. Uh, so at last we have a cure for yes. all. Ailments large. Very Thanos. Very Thanos. First line there, Pam. Yes, at least a half. Um, ailments large and ailment, ailments small. Is that what yes. it was? Okay. All right. I'm in. Yep. Good health is not beyond my reach. Okay, yeah. If I in- get, get to the point, Pam. <laughs> if I inject myself with bleach. Ooh, oh, Pam is. Got him. Who knew Pam is going to get political? When did Pam Ayres become Bill Hicks? <laughs> Radiant, I'll prance along. Every trace of my lime scale gone. That's actually pretty good. Now, is Radiant a uh, cleaning product? Is that what she's saying? Or is it Radiant I thought a double Radiant was there? Well, in, in Australia, Radiant is like a laundry detergent, I believe. So is there, a, is there a play on words there? Is she doing a double meaning or is, is she just being Radiant? Radiant. Radiant's an interesting I think, story, uh, interesting word to choose. Uh, podcast, Mike, can you just Google if Radiant, there's a disinfectant brand called Radiant or a bleach called Radiant? I'm going to say yes, because I only know this because specifically with uh, when you have a baby wheel and you start using sterilizers and stuff, you have to be aware of lime scale because you're constantly using steam and stuff. So every couple of weeks, I de-lime de scale uh, the baby's sterilizer. I don't use radiant. I, I use white vinegar. Uh, uh, when you said you're using sterilizers after having a baby, I was like, on you or on Gemma? <laughs> God damn it. Radiant, I'll prance along. Oh, hang on, Mike, can't find it. Okay, so maybe Pam okay. is just, just a coincidence. Radiant, I'll prance along. Every trace of the lime scale gone. With disinfectant as my friend, like him, I'm clean round the bend. You're scowling. You didn't like that little, I thought that was actually the cleverest line of the whole poem. Okay, so... She, didn't, da- even, she didn't mention him by name. Yeah, so him. He who, he who shall not him. be named. He shall yeah, not be named. Orange Voldemort. Um, so, yeah. With disinfectant as my friend, like him, I'm clean round the bend. Clean round the bend. So she's saying that he is bananas. He is clean round the bend, right? Is that what we're saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. But she's also saying that her toilet would be you. You'd like you clean the toilet, and it, the bend in the toilet would be clean. Or is that, have I gone a step too far there in what I'm reading into this? Is it just her no, no. internal organs that are clean around the bend? What's the bend in relation to her? I would assume, oh, in relation to her? Yeah. Well, no, she's saying like him, I'm clean around the bend. I think that refers to insane. But the double meaning is the S bend of your, of your toilet. 
you disinfect your toilet, you clean around the S-band. Yeah, okay. So that's so she's saying that her internal organs are like a toilet's internal workings, <laughs> that she has some sort of S-band? Is that what she's saying? Yes. yes. She's saying she is like a human toilet. <laughs> How many likes and retweets do you think this has got? I want you to guess. Um, likes. How many followers does she have? 70,000. 70,000. I can't believe that. <laughs> I can't believe she does. But she does. How old is she? Hey, uh, Podcast Mike, can you just Google Pam Ayres for us, please? Can you just uh, send us a link to the Wikipedia page for Pam Ayres? We need, we, I can't believe we haven't done this deep dive sooner. Or did we do this deep dive? No, we just went and looked at poems. I can't yeah, remember Ayres. us ever exploring the backstory of Pam Ayres. <laughs> okay. I think this All is right. the important content that people need in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> All right, so let's look, let's dig deep on Pam Ayers because she must be like I'm looking at her. She was okay. She was... Well, firstly, I'm going to do likes likes and retweets. Okay. I'm going to say it's had six thousand likes and it's had uh, four thousand five hundred retweets. You are so wrong. A higher for both. It's had twenty thousand likes and it's had fifteen thousand retweets. Uh, lower for retweets, higher for likes. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's had more likes than people sharing. Yeah. Fucking internet. If you like it enough to like it, why not fucking retweet it? That's what I'd say. All too political for me. <laughs> Don't want to get some Pam Air fire on my... Get the trolls coming out after me after I've fucking posted a Pam Air's John Oliver-style takedown of Donald Trump. <laughs> um, I will say... Okay, so it's had... Um, uh, it's had... What do you say? More likes. Yeah. Less retweets. Yep. So it's had... 50,000, what did I say before? 100,000 likes and uh, 20,000 retweets. No, 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 no. You, you said, you said, you said 20,000 likes, it's okay. higher. And you said 15,000 retweets. 50,000 likes, 15,000 retweets. No, no, no. I'm just going to tell you. Because this is going to no? take too long. I want us to keep 20, guessing until I get oh. it exactly. No, go on, tell me. <laughs> 28,000 likes. And 8,000, almost 7,000. She's one off seven. You know what? I'm going to retweet her to get her to 9,000 retweets. <laughs> yeah, I just got it. I just tipped her over to 9,000. <laughs> you got to thank me for that, Pan. Yeah, so there you go. 9,000 retweets and 28,000. I mean, that's that's incredibly popular. for some. Because I've just, all right, so we've brought up her info. She's 73 years old. And that's her stock and trade is these poems. And she's got 9,000 retweets. <laughs> 30,000 likes. Yeah, but, you know, it's a, like an ant, it's been passed on by people who aren't traditional Pam Ayers fans. This has gone out of your Pam Ayers world into your world of people going, look at this, this is a zing, a takedown. Oh, you Trump. think like Trevor, Trevor, like yeah. Trevor Noah or someone is like, <laughs> like some kind of lefty comedian. You're yeah, they gave Pam Ayers a shout on Chapo Trap House. I mean, this is the thing. I'm looking at a Wikipedia page now, and for someone who has that many retweets and likes. This is one of the thinnest Wikipedia pages. It's literally like four paragraphs. Okay. So he, let, let me lay a bit of airs on you. <laughs> let me put on some airs and graces, Will. All right, so she was born in 1947. She's an English poet, a comedian, whoop, songwriter, and presenter of radio and television programs. Her 1975 appearance in the television show Opportunity Knocks led to appearances on TV and radio shows, a one-woman touring stage show, and she performed for The Queen. Right. Uh, she was born in Stanford Vale, Berkshire. Da, 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 da. Okay, that's just all about her. She they've literally got her academic history. <laughs> um, okay, Bob Dylan inspired Pam Ayers to write poetry, and in 2006, she added that at the age of 12, she enjoyed writing parodies of the Lonnie Donegan songs mm. popular at the time. Much like her idol, Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. So her career started in 1975 on Opportunity Knox. Do you know what that, have you ever heard of that show? Opportunity Knox was like a TV talent show, I'm pretty sure. Okay, and so that led to a, a wide variety of guest appearances on TV and radio. Since then, she's published six books of poems, uh, toured a one-woman stage show, hosted her own TV show and performed. So she's only written six books. She's 73. I would have thought she'd be much more prolific considering how popular she appears to be. Yeah, and how quick it seems to be to write her fucking ditties. <laughs> Her poetry has a deceptively simple style. <laughs> is it deceptively simple? Or is it just simple? Isn't that great when people are just like, look, it could just be simple or it could be deceptively simple. <laughs> 
Uh, she has a deceptively simple style and deals with everyday subject matter. Her poem, Oh, I Wished I Looked After Me Teeth. <laughs> you know what I remember about that poem, Charlie? It was what? deceptively simple. <laughs> it was voted in the top 10 of a BBC poll to find the nation's 100 favourite comic poems. Mm-hmm. In the UK Arts Council's report on poetry... Ayers was identified as the fifth best-selling poet in Britain between 1998 and 1999. <laughs> and then after that, it says citation needed, which I reckon Pam's been bloody getting into her own Wikipedia page. Like, that's a very narrow gap. That's like a period of 12 months. Ayers <laughs> um, continues to perform her work, the humorous quality of which is enhanced by her idiosyncratic delivery and by her distinctive North Berkshire accent. You know what that sounds like? North Berkshire? No. No. From 96, Ayers has appeared frequently on BBC Radio. From 96 to 99, she presented a two-hour music and chat show on Sunday afternoons. It was followed by the series Pam Ayers Open Road, in which she visited various parts of the UK, interviewing people with interesting stories to tell about their lives and local areas. More recently, she's become a contributor to Radio 4 on programs like Just a Minute, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Oh, here we go. In 2007, Ayers acted in a radio sitcom called Potting On (laughs) for Radio 4. She wrote and recorded a six series uh, of her Radio 4 program, Ayers on the Air. Of course. She's uh, getting into some uh, illegal territory there with the puns. (laughs) Ayers on the Air, uh, which is broadcast in 2018. Uh, Since then, she's appeared a number of times on Countdown. She's been on QI a few times. Okay. Hmm. Oh, that's some legitimacy. In 2011, she said in a Daily Telegraph magazine interview that she was about to go on her 14th tour of Australia. Oh, do you think she's one of those British celebrities that is inexplicably popular here? Well, from the amount of time we've dedicated to her on this podcast, <laughs> I would say yes. Her biography, The Necessary Aptitude, a memoir, was published in 2011. It traces her life and career from growing up as the youngest of six children in a council house to her time in the Women's Royal Air Force and the string of events that led to Opportunity Knocks. The title refers to the number of times she was told in her life she did not have the necessary aptitude. In 2013, she published her latest book of poems, You Made Me Late Again. Uh, Pam has appeared three times for the Queen at the Silver Jubilee Royal Variety Performance in 1977. At a Royal Gala charity reception at St. James Palace in 1996, when Pam, as the only entertainer, performed part of her solo stage show. <laughs> so, essentially, she's just come in and done her one-woman well, one show for one woman, the Queen. She was like a private dancer dancing for money, a private rhymer rhyming for money. <laughs> I wish I could remember which of her poem. Oh, you know what? I think I'm going to just Google. I remember it was something about like eating dessert. Pam is eating dessert. <laughs> Pam is eating cake. Pam is dessert. Because I think it was all about how much I love eating dessert. No, 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 no. I can't say anything there. Oh, look, I found, oh, I wish I'd looked after my teeth. Do you want me to lay some of that on you? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Oh, I wish I'd looked after me teeth and spotted the perils beneath. All the toffees I chewed and the sweet sticky food. Oh, I wish I'd looked after me teeth. <laughs> I wish I'd been that much more willing when I had more tooth there than fillin' to pass up gobstoppers from respect, from respect to me choppers and to buy something else with me shillin'. And when I think of the lollies I licked and the licorice all sorts I picked, sherbet dabs, little and big, all that hard peanut brittle, my conscience gets horribly pricked. My mother, she told me no end. If you've got a tooth, you've got a friend. I was young then and careless. My toothbrush was hairless. I never had much time to spend. I always showed them the toothpaste all right. I flashed it about late at night. But up and down brushing and poking and fussing didn't seem worth the time. I could bite. If I'd known I was paving the way to cavities, caps and decay, the murder of fillings, injections and drillings, I'd have thrown all my sherbet away. So I lay in the old dentist chair and I gaze up his nose in despair and his drill, it do whine in these molars of mine. 
to amalgam, he'll say, for in there. What does that mean? To amalgam, he'll say, for in there. How I laughed at my mother's false teeth as they foamed in the waters beneath. But now they come reckoning. It's me, they are beckoning. Oh, I wish I'd looked after my teeth. Well, I would say, Charlie, that is deceptively shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's so... I don't understand, like, what is going on. How can this... Not only has she ruined, like, my potential, like, acting career, but she's a terrible poet who's performed three times for the Queen. Is there any double meaning to that is that just a poem about somebody wishing they'd looked after their teeth or is it a poem about there was a bit in the middle where i was like oh maybe this is actually about all the boys she dated like this is like a double yeah, okay. meaning this is and it's thing. like you know my milkshake brings I, all I the picked boys up that to the yard. there's kind of like a, a double meaning going on here yeah when i think of all the lollies i licked yeah. I mean, come on. come on. That only means one thing, right? Only means one thing. Her, her first draft of was the... Pam's husband's like, <laughs> Pam, do you think when I think of all the dicks that I've sucked is really <laughs> what you should be doing on Opportunity Knocks? <laughs> <laughs> you don't think you could just <laughs> tone it down a little bit? But it rhymes so well with all the guys that I fucked. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, go on from uh, what the the lollies I've licked. So when I (laughs) when I think of all the lollies I've licked and all the licorice, all sorts I pick. Because right now this could be a Cardi B. Like if Cardi was like, you know, wrapping this in the middle of something, talking about all the lollies she's licked. Yeah. And I think too, when she says all the licorice, all sorts I picked, I mean, that's like, you know, if she's been around the world, man, like it's the United Colors of Benetton for Pam. Exactly. She (laughs) didn't discriminate. She was... She didn't discriminate. Yeah, absolutely. All the licorice, all sorts she'd picked. And this next two lines, I think is really telling. Sherbet dabs, big and little... All that hard, peanut brittle. Oh my God. <laughs> Bam, as fucks. <laughs> That's what I think we're working out. My conscience is horrible. <laughs> yeah. Originally, it was hard nut butter. And her husband again was like, Bam, could you just. It's a little on the nose. All that hard, peanut brittle, my conscience gets horribly pricked <laughs> but not you just your conscience not it's not the only thing getting pricked um her mother she told me no end my mother she told me no end if you've got a tooth you've got a friend i mean sounds like apple doesn't fall too far from the tree does mm-hmm. it <laughs> i was young then and careless yep my toothbrush was hairless <laughs> <laughs> I just can see by this stage Pam as his husband's just in tears. Like, please, don't tell people that. <laughs> I never had much time to spend. Um, oh, I showed them the toothpaste, all right. <laughs> I flashed it about late at night. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But up and down brushing, you know what that means, mm-hmm. up and down brushing and poking and a fussing. Oh, oh my God. Didn't seem, the wor- didn't seem worth the time. I could bite. Oh, Holy shit. Damn. If I'd known I was paving the way to cavities, caps and decay. Caps. The murder of, <laughs> yeah, the murder of fillings, injections and drillings. Oh my God. <laughs> I'd have thrown all my sherbet away. <laughs> was was Pam as a coke fiend who fucked everybody back in the day? Because this is what this poem is about. Clearly, like it, it does come across like that, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that she was just down I mean, at the club doing her sherbet and then just showing her toothpaste to whoever would ask. Just flashing it about town. Brushing up and down, poking and a fussing. Um, 
So then I lay down in the old dentist chair, I gazed up his nose in despair, and his drill at do wine in these molars of mine. To amalgam, he'll say, for in there. Mm. Is it dentist coming on to her as well? I think the gas has just kicked <laughs> like, in. <laughs> yeah. How I laughed at my mother's false teeth as I foamed in the waters beneath, but now they're a reckoning. It's me, they, they are beckoning. Oh, I wish I'd looked after my teeth. Yeah, I get that. So she's riddled with STDs. <laughs> I believe it's the, uh, that's the takeaway from, uh, from the end of that poem, I think. Wow. Wow. Who would have thought? Now I get it. Pan now I understand it. This is like a poetry uh, discussion class. You know, we've read it the first time. We haven't understood it, but then we've talked it out with each other. And I feel like now we're really getting to the heart of what Pam was about and what resonated with people. I just like to say, if anyone, I imagine when I read the poem the first time through, a bunch of people switched off. They're like, is this what this show is now? <laughs> They're just reading Pamela's poems. Look, I mean, if you're not, for those who stuck with us, thank you because it was it was worth it. But I think we have found the reason why Pamela's is so inexplicably popular. Double meanings, secret meanings. Well. Just a massive hoback. Yeah, but maybe that's what it is. Maybe all her poems actually have double meanings. Maybe we've just been looking at them on the surface and not understanding the true artistry. Like maybe Pam Ayers was speaking to a generation of women who needed to like, you know, present themselves as being sort of a an average housewife but wanted to say, mm. yeah, I know that you. that's how you present yourself but there's another part of you that I, I see and I recognise and... I know we've all had a couple of licorice all sorts in our past <laughs> that we might look back on and regret. But, you know, we've, we've, all, we've all flashed our toothpaste around town. Who hasn't? Yeah, late at night, you know. Maybe that's why I never got hired. Maybe that's the problem is, you know, it was a bunch of kids in that scouts hall. I just got up and just recited filth. Yeah, <laughs> the exactly. producers were aghast. Like, this kid's got this, a problem. We're going to have this, to report him. <laughs> 13-year-olds just dragging this filthy Kevin Bloody Wilson-style limericks. Yeah, this is my second one. Uh, this is called uh, Do You Fuck on First Dates? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Okay. Well, that, that's enough for today. Uh, you know, I'd like to let people know, Will, that we have a Patreon page. And uh, we've got lots of bonus content on there. At the moment, with um, things being a little uncertain with people's employment, I understand that not everyone can uh, uh, contribute to the Patreon. So uh, that's fine. You know, if you, don't, if you don't want to support us that way, you can't support us that way. There's other ways to do it. You can go to our YouTube channel. You can check out some of our videos. You can drop some likes. You can maybe subscribe to our channel. That's another way we can bring some revenue in. Um, but for those of you who can afford to uh, become a Patreon subscriber, we're uploading bonus content every couple of weeks. We do a little mini podcast where we go through and we talk about, um, we take letters from our Patreon listeners. And I'm very excited to announce, Will, that we have a brand new uh, prize for the best letter we receive from our Patreon subscribers uh, each couple of weeks. I've gone ahead and had some Tofop fridge magnets made. Oh, good. Uh, James Fosdyke did an excellent design for us. A, uh, it's, a, it's a design which is, we keep them laughing so they keep you living. Um, it's you and I, it's uh, Australia's number one medical podcast. Uh, so if you have a desire to get your hands on one of these limited edition fridge magnets, the uh, only way you can do that is become a Patreon subscriber and to send us a letter. And if we read that letter out and decide it's worthy... Look, there's a lot of hoops to jump through to get a fridge magnet. <laughs> I'm trying to incentivize you somehow. It's worth it. They look great. They're very and what great. I would also say, has it heartened you in any way? Because during these times when we suddenly realize how um, non-essential our jobs are, you know, like immediately, you know, people talk about laughter being the best medicine, but actually when you need something that needs actual medicine, laughter is pretty quickly dismissed from one of the possibilities. People are considering <laughs> drinking bleach yeah. before they're considering bringing in a comedian to fucking lighten the mood. So, um, it, but the fact that this podcast is listened to by so many medical professionals, Charlie, during this time when medical yes. professionals, this is our equivalent of going outside our house at seven o'clock at night and clapping for the medical professionals. Like, if you can support this podcast and you're not a medical professional, you are, in turn, still supporting medical professionals who listen to this podcast. You keep them laughing, so they keep them living. I went onto my balcony to do that round of applause at 7pm, and uh, we were the only ones. I was very disappointed. I thought there'd be more people in their balconies clapping, but maybe it's just the area I live in. Maybe everyone was dead. Well, I live, as you know, Charlie, I live, you know, in the country now on a farm. And uh, if I'd gone out the front onto the road outside my house and clapped, I just would have been a guy on his own 
out on a road <laughs> clapping for reasons that no one would understand. Well, I was talking to Gemma. I was like, how long do you think before Will goes full Dave Letterman? I was like, he's moved to the country. You know, there's no work for the foreseeable future. I'm like, I'm just counting down the days till we jump on Skype and you've just got like that full Dave Letterman beard going. Oh, uh, Amy won't allow it. Amy won't allow it. Oh, really? Beard. No, that's... Look, I don't do a great beard anyway. And I would love to grow a beard, but Amy will not allow it. But my hair, I am one of those... Because my hair grows so quickly, I am one of those people who the whole not being able to get a haircut thing... My head looks terrible. There is no way. I have so many hair care products. I have so many ways I could try to do something with it. And every day I attempt to like wrangle into something that looks like a haircut. And about five minutes later, it's like I'm, it, it's becoming so much like an Afro that it feels like I'm doing something racially insensitive. <laughs> well, mine's the same. Like I'm, I'm, I've got real in between hair at the moment. Mine's just like, I look like an 80s jock, like a bully. If you're watching some kind of John Hughes film, I'm the guy who gets his comeuppance because it's just kind of, see, it's got that kind of length there. It's not yeah. quite long. It's not quite short. It's just a terrible haircut. But I don't know. I'm, I also feel like I'm too old for long hair. Like, I don't know how long this is going to go on for, but I don't want to be that guy. Because I always think if you're mid-40s and you have long hair, you're either like a record producer or a drug dealer. <laughs> it's only two people who have long hair. Or a musician. Uh, in the area of the world I'm now living in, there's a lot of like long-haired ex-hippies or still hippies or something like that. Are they dying? Like it's, is it long, long grey hair or dyed long hair? Nah, long grey hair. Long yeah, grey hair. Gray. It's fine to have like, like long grey hair. Look, but these people aren't wearing shoes, Charlie. So they don't, they don't care about, you know, what you think about. You're probably looking at their feet going, oh, shouldn't you have shoes on? Like most people have gloves and a mask and you don't even have shoes. You don't care about the long grey ponytail. Uh, yeah, so the best way to support the show is at uh, patreon.com or to go on YouTube. Or if you want to get yourself some merch, you can go to redbubble.com forward slash Mr. Foz. Get some of James's great artwork. You can get it on a hoodie or on a t-shirt or on a mug. Uh, that is if Will has left you any merch behind because Will owns pretty much the entire catalogue, don't you? And there's a, But there's a bunch of new designs and mm. I am unemployed at the moment, Charlie, so I can't afford any new Tofop merchandise. But for other people out there, there's a whole bunch of new designs up on the Redbubble at the moment to go and check out. And I think we can put a bit of sizzle on this. It's not ready yet, but um, we've talked last week about our new website that's coming. It's looking pretty good. I mean, it's it's... Look, I understand, you know, Squarespace, they're an old supporter of our show and it's great when you build your own website, but it also pays to get professionals to come in and build your really good website, which is what we've used a lot of our uh, uh, sponsorship money and Patreon money is going to building this brand new website because we want to give you guys the yeah. best possible experience of TOEFOP. We have out outsourced it to somebody more skilled than us. Again, we've <laughs> yeah, just brought exactly. in another person to sit in that meeting when they oust us. In fact, it'll probably be the website designer who gets together with everybody else and just says, do you feel like Charlie and Will are the real thing holding this back? <laughs> yeah, that's right. They call Sam and podcast Mike and, and James and say, you know what? If you got rid of those guys, you'd have a really good product here. Guys, um, we've got the numbers. <laughs> uh, but one of the th reasons we're so excited about the new website is that when we were talking to the designers, we said, look, we have all this amazing artwork from James Fosdyke, not just for TOEFOP, not just for Wallosophy, but Quantum Cop and everyone relax. And we literally have like, you know, thousands of these amazing um, imagery and artwork and we just wanted to house it somewhere that when people go to the TOEFOP website it's just like a gallery of James's incredible artwork and it took some arm twisting for James but we've designed a feature where um, when a new episode is uploaded or you go and visit the page of any of the episodes whether that's philosophy or TOEFOP you can order that print for yourself it'll take you to the red bubble and you can order yourself a version of that print so uh, it's really exciting because I know that some people, uh, some of the artwork that James does, people just flip their lids over. So pretty soon you'll have a chance to own your very own copy for that. Um, I'm not sure when the website will be ready, but uh, uh, it will be soon, coming soon. Yeah, it's something that we're working on. And we have other podcasts, of course. Uh, Dad Pod is back, is it, Charlie? Uh, it will be coming back. We've just, um, we've done a bulk record. Uh, we've decided to break it down into seasons. We enjoyed doing the first season, but it was a bit haphazard. We were both new dads. We sort of were, didn't know what we were doing. And then um, Osh called me for a meeting and said, look, 
I love doing this show, but I feel like we could maybe put some more facts in what we're doing. So Dad Pod is coming back, but we're saying it Dad Pod season two now with facts. Uh, so we've done a bit of research and we want to, what we're doing is we're talking about the whole pregnancy period. So any dads who are expecting or mums who listen to it as well, this is what we went through. And here's some information that may, may the whole, make the whole experience a bit easier for you. So coming soon, um, we've got two more episodes to record, record and then, um, yes, it'll definitely be on all the socials to let you know. Uh, Fofop is back. So uh, there's two episodes with Justin Hamilton. There is one with Dave Anthony. And uh, Justin and I are going to record another one tonight. So there'll be a new Justin episode up this week. Uh, I think maybe <clears throat> we haven't recorded it yet, but we're aiming to do Narrowly Meadows, revisit Narrowly, who has an excellent podcast called Ordinarily Speaking uh, for this week's Philosophy episode. But if we uh, don't get to that in time, um, I still have a couple of uh, cool ones up my sleeve. Mark Wilson from Jet. Uh, this is a good episode that I had recorded with him and Michael Schaefer, who's a really brilliant uh, emerging comedian who had testicular cancer and uh, has an incredible story as well. So uh, it'll be one of those or many of those, but uh, heaps of philosophy episodes. The most recent one was with M. Rossiano. And of course, uh, Two Guys, One Cup, our AFL podcast. We've had a couple of weeks off that, but we are aiming to in the next week or so uh, get together and do another episode of that as well if you want to check that out. Awesome. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. <laughs>